Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. live recording of uh, Product Coffee. So this is a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, thoughts, advice on all things product over a cup of coffee. So thank you for joining us, first of all. Um, Super exciting to be a part of the 8th Annual Denver Startup Week. So this is a super important event for our technology community here in Colorado, and so it's awesome to get to participate in this. And we're really thankful that all of you here could come and join us. So thanks for being here. Um, and if you want to post anything on social, uh, make sure to use the hashtags uh, Den Startup Week as well as Product Coffee. Um, and I also want to call out, uh, please mute your cell phones. We are recording this. This will be a live recording that goes out onto the internet. Um, so anything that happens will be captured forever. Um, <laughs> also wanted to call out, uh, it's really important for the Denver Startup Week community uh, that we kind of foster a community of inclusiveness and diversity. And so we just wanted to call out, you know, as you're enjoying Denver Startup Week today, throughout the week, you know, make sure to introduce yourself to new people. Talk to someone who has a different background than you, who looks different than you, who has different experiences in, than you. That's going to help us have a, a more creative, a stronger community. Um, so I wanted to call that out. That's important too, kind of the values of, of this event. Um, and we also wanted to thank our sponsors. Um, hold on, slides are not moving. There we go. That's the diversity slide that I was just talking about. So. Um, and we also wanted to thank our sponsors. So uh, the, the main sponsors are Chase Inc. Um, we have Denver, uh, Downtown Denver Partnership, iAging, Slack, Toptal, and University of Denver, as well as the track sponsor. So this is part of the product track, which is sponsored by Capital One Cafe. So thank you to them. Um, they uh, and some of these other uh, sponsors help make this event possible. So to recap, and to make sure my slides are right, um, this podcast, uh, for those of you who maybe haven't heard it before, is something uh, some of us here at Ibotta started, um, I think, back in April. Um, and you know, this, this event really started out of the desire for us to become better at our craft as professionals. Um, I think one of the things we liked about Ibotta as a company is that it, it's a place where people are really pushing themselves to be the best they can be and to be the best team and organization they can be. And from a product standpoint, you know, I think we had a, a pretty cohesive team. We would have uh, product happy hours and offsites, um, and that was good for bonding and getting to know each other. But one of the things we wanted um, uh, to have more of was actionable ways we could like really level up is kind of what we've called it. Uh, Kevin, I don't know if there's anything you want to add about how we got started. Yeah, I think typically you, you see teams with larger amount of folks in the teams like engineering um, have better culture just because there's more people there and it's a, it's a little longer. Um, um, more people have been in that career for a longer time. Products are kind of new. So, and also product management are very, that team is very small. Typically, you know, you're one product manager to five engineers, right? So 
um, we kind of use some of the best practices we saw with the engineering culture here. We really like that um, about like helping each other. Like they have a lot of technology lunch and learns, so helping each other level up their expertise. So that's kind of what we wanted to foster with product coffee. Um, again, we wanted to switch from happy hour to kind of let's meet in the morning, let's grab coffee, let's talk about what's working for each other. Um, and then that kind of evolved. And then all of a sudden we wanted to start a podcast for some reason. But uh, <laughs> I think one of the things is, you know, as product managers, we do a lot of research. We, there's a lot of different resources out there, um, books, podcasts, um, websites, you know, like, well, what we're talking about now and every Friday was very useful. So we wanted to um, share that with other folks in the Denver product community um, and just product in general. And yeah. Yeah, and I think one thing I'd add to that is um, there's a lot of great product resources out there to kind of learn about product management. Um, but one of the best teachers I found is just like experiencing, you know, product lifecycle, failing a bunch of times. And there's kind of a shortcut when you talk to other like experienced product managers about things that have worked for them, things that have made them successful, things that haven't worked for them, and things they failed on. Um, and so that's kind of something I think that's been really valuable for all of us. And so you know, feel free to check out the podcast. We'll have a QR code at the end that links to it. Um, but that's kind of how this got started. Um, usually the way this format works is we pick a topic uh, every week that a group of us will discuss. We'll raise questions to each other, talk about our own experiences in relation to that subject. Um, so we're going to do that today. Um, we're also going to be interviewing a few product leaders from the Denver community, um, which is awesome. Bring in some product folks outside of Ibotta for some additional perspective keep us honest. Um, and then after that, we'll have like a town hall Q&A. So um, there's sticky notes and pens kind of along some of these tables here. As you have questions throughout the podcast, throughout the panel interview, write down those questions uh, and definitely ask them at the end. We'd be happy to answer to the best of our ability anything about the, the podcast, the Denver tech community, Ibotta, product management, uh, certainly let us know. So with that, um, Again, this is Product Coffee. It's a podcast for product professionals where we talk about uh, all things product. So with that, I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach LaGreca. I'm Jamie Douglas. I'm Jake Orlin. Patrick Kuchkowski. I'm Bergen DeVell. And I'm Kevin Gentry. So today's topic is the dark side of product management, aka what they didn't tell you in the job description. So little things like, hey, you're jumping from meeting to meeting all day, contact switching like crazy. Maybe your competitor just released a, a new product and beat you to market for the first time. Maybe a user just found a critical bug and you didn't know about it until an hour ago. Sales just sold a feature and you haven't built it. Never happens, right? Um, maybe your product designer just quit on you and you only have half a prototype. You know, maybe the engineering team is completely out of work and you haven't done any backlog grooming in weeks, and so it's a mess. And on top of all of it, you know, you had OKRs, our goals were due yesterday, and now the CEO wants to talk. He's got a brand new idea, and guess what? It's only 10-10. The whole day is about to start, so buckle up. It's going to be fun. So the topic of conversation that we're going to start off with is just that. What didn't they tell you in the job description? I can kick things off. I think the one thing they didn't tell you in the job description is you don't know what you don't know. I think a big part of product management is you have no idea what's going to work and you have no idea what's going to fail. Um, so it's a matter of just trying things and being wrong all the time. Um, you need to be humble. And I think that should probably be included in more job descriptions. 
Yeah, I think to go off that, it can, at first it can be kind of demoralizing when you're just like failing a lot. Um, and I think going into a career, you expect like to be initially impactful, to know what you're doing. And I feel like product in particular, you go into it thinking you know what you're doing. And then at least for me, like make a bunch of mistakes and learn stuff. Um, but that's actually like a critical part of becoming a good product manager is that failure. Like you're not going to get there without that. I think, I think that's really important. Um, I think one other thing uh, they don't tell you is that it, like, it always comes back down to you. Whatever needs to happen, like the buck stops with you. And that's actually kind of a different mindset than any other job I've ever done where it's like, you know, oh, that random thing got done that we don't know what team is supposed to do that. We don't know who manages that random process, but it's certainly not my responsibility. Well, as a product manager, it, it doesn't matter because if it impacts the product or your users negatively, well, it is, it is your responsibility. So have fun fixing that process that no one has looked at in four years. Yeah, the other thing I would say is get really good at improv. The amount yes. of public speaking, case in point this, yeah. that you're going to do is way more than you ever expect. So get used to talking to groups. Yeah, you're an evangelist, right? Like a big part of the job description is selling your product and getting that buy-in and knowing the audience that you're selling to, right? You're going to speak about a product in a very different way to marketing, to design, to sales, to business operations, um, to your care agents or whatever, whatever kind of customer support that you might have. I think kind of to your point, Zach, about responsibility, product management's a really unique role in this regard in that we have a ton of responsibility, but almost no authority. So you're also convincing your own team to do a lot of things too. And you can't actually compel them to do anything, right? Like I'm going to walk into an engineering meeting and be like, we should do this. And then all the engineers look back at you and be like, yeah, cool. We want to do this. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I think that that was one of the first things I was told when I got hired as a product manager was you will do none of the work, but you'll get all of the credit, good or bad, right? <laughs> like you're, you're kind of on blast for your product, right? No matter what. So you're responsible for that. So, but you have to compel a lot of other people to actually get the work done. And I don't think that is widely known either. Yeah, I think another detail as the, I think we're kind of the glue within a squad, whether that's um, your engineers, whether that's legal, marketing, et cetera. One like very tactical thing I think I've learned over the course of a this role in product management is take any estimate that the engineer t engineering team may tell you and maybe double that expectation um, just as you're setting expectations outside of the squad itself. I think a lot of times we'll go into planning as a team and we think a feature may take X or Y. And then um, as you're starting to communicate that information outside of the squad, I would highly recommend some padding on set estimates. Uh, that way, as you even, you know, start to articulate timelines, you want to make sure you have that, that specific padding in there. Just a quick show of hands. How many of you in here are engineers? Nice. In the last month, how many times have you made up a level of effort estimate? <laughs> all right, cool. We know. It's all right. Like, it's super hard. And so, it, I mean, it's, all, it's a really tough question for product managers to ask, right? Like, how long is this going to take? Like, I don't know. I haven't done this before. I got to go figure out if I can actually do it, right? Like, I don't know, other PMs on the panel, how do you address that? How do you think about level of effort? Because that's also a big part of the job and communicating that out to other stakeholders as well. I think to just go beyond that, part of the job is you're expected to be able to put timelines on things in a way that is somewhat accurate as a product manager. And as you mentioned, like sometimes you have to make up timelines, but here's like, well, we want to go build this thing and we're not really sure who the users are and we're not sure like where it stands with this partner we need to integrate with. 
So based on that, it could be anywhere from three weeks to six months. So like part of our job is like, how do we take that into something that's useful to like, you know, the leadership team of, well, based on all of these factors, here's, here's our best guess, our best hypothesis as to where this might land. Um, I guess I'm just adding to the problem and not solving it. Does anyone have any thoughts? Oh, yes, I have the solution. Um, Here we go. <laughs> I think part of what helps with that is just cutting scope and being as specific as possible about what you can deliver on the timeline that you have. Um, so making things into discrete chunks that you can say, this is what we're delivering when, as opposed to thinking of the global problem, breaking it down into smaller parts, and then you can message those timelines. And then that also factors in some unknowns as well. So you can, you know, problems come up, then you can bake in that extra time that Bergen talked about. So I think that those two things work together better. So I'm, I know we did a, a whole podcast on estimating, so go listen to that one too. Um, it's shameless plug, we got to get in there. Uh, the real question I tend to have is often, especially in kind of talking about the dark side of project management, you have this roadmap, you have everything well-defined. You're like, yes, I have all the level of effort. I feel comfortable with this we can ship this and then it all gets flipped on its head because something happens. It could be a critical bug or this or that. And suddenly your head of product or the CTO or CEO are suddenly saying, we need these 14 new things and we need them right away. So how do you deal with basically your roadmap changing overnight? I think communication is key, right? Like being upfront with that and, and very vocal. Like, hey, we learned this thing and here was the decision we made because of that. I think that's, all the more important. Maybe, you know, is it, more upfront you can be with communication, the more you can cushion the blow to other teams. Like, hey, we're changing everything, you know. Hey, we made this decision. If you back out the logic of why you guys made this decision and why we're pivoting, I think it's always very helpful. I think the why is really important in asking why in a lot of those situations where it's like, we need to build this thing, we need to build it right now. A lot of times the focus is on that one thing or that one problem. So helping bring the conversation back to seeing the whole board, like what are the implications of this decision? What are the trade-offs that we're making? And just making sure that everyone's aware of that, I think is really, really important and really helps drive the best decision at the end of the day. Yeah, like what Jamie said about cutting scope and being very specific about each component and why we're investing in our time into those. As things change, what are we deferring to? I think the channel of communication and that type of update is key as well. So depending on the stakeholders that you have, I think at the squad level, we have daily standups to communicate things in terms of changing of priority. But as you have to communicate things out and up, uh, when you get in, you want to get be ahead of those things sooner rather than later. So I think, you know, email is a key way to communicate, I think, with leadership, at least in my experience, and letting and getting out in front of those those changes and those issues that you may be experiencing. You, they want to hear that from the squad first rather than a roundabout way. So I think that the sooner you can jump on those things and be sure to over communicate. I mean, we send out, I think something that I found very useful here at Ibotta is each squad sends out almost a bi-weekly stakeholder update. So whether or not that is your, specific to your squad, you're typically copied on the email for visibility. So I think that that's something that I haven't seen in other organizations that is pretty effective that we do here at Ibotta. And that way, everybody has access to that information, whether or not they read the very lengthy size 11 font email is up to them, but they have access to that information. So if that's not something that exists in your organization today, I found that to be a very effective way to communicate. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of folks who are drawn to products tend to be 
pretty good communicators. So however good you think you are at communication, I think one thing you learn is that you're just not good enough at communication <laughs> as a product manager. Um, it's really critical to being successful in the role. Um, and I, I think always looking at how do I continue to communicate more frequently with more stakeholders more often about what we're deciding to do. And I think the other thing we're kind of touching on is, uh, is trade-offs. Like, I, I think when you first go into product, you have this expectation that I'm going to get to have these great ideas and work on this cool new thing and launch it and it's going to be glamorous. I'll go up on stage in a black turtleneck and announce this product launch. Um, but I think a lot of time what it turns into is like painful trade-offs and then communicating painful decisions to other people who aren't thrilled about some of the trade-offs you made. Um, I kind of think of it like no one is ever fully happy with you because you're always compromising. Yeah, I think to the topic at hand, the dark side of product management, uh, disappointing others can be part of the pain of being a product manager. You will disappoint someone. There's no getting around it. It's just a matter of can you do it in a way that is you know, thoughtful and useful and also forward-looking to at least make them understand why that trade-off is happening. But yeah, managing the disappointments is difficult. So is that what's keeping you up at night or is there something different? <laughs> sure, that's what's keeping me up at night. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we all want to deliver the best product possible and to make the company successful and also to make our teams happy. Um, and I think the combination of those things, those are the things that keep me up at night. Yeah, I know personally, one of the things that I've been losing sleep over has been release management lately. Uh, it's one of those skills that is underestimated in my opinion. And it's very easy to be in a situation where we're launching a product, but you haven't talked to marketing as clearly as possible. You completely forgot about the support organization and this thing's live and now people are responding and using it and you're like, oh, Oh crap, I didn't think about that. Oh crap, I didn't think about that. So I think that's probably the biggest thing right now that's keeping me up at night. It's almost like the adage of a lot of businesses where the last mile is the hardest mile. That idea applies to product management, right? To your point about release management, getting something over the finish line is really, really hard, right? Like we celebrate these things as big achievements and we put them all over the place. We put them in Slack. We put them in newsletters. We put them in all sorts of places. But like getting to that point, often there's this headwind right at the end, whether it's like a bug that comes up at the last second or some sort of feedback comes in from a senior stakeholder that you haven't heard before, or you need to talk to marketing, but they can't get something out for a week, right? Those are the things that are really hard in practice that I think you really just have to go through a couple times to figure out how to handle but does anyone have any strategies on how to approach some of those things? Well, maybe we can talk about a specific example. Like Patrick, you said you're, you have some things that are keeping you up at night. Yeah. Um, uh, so for people who may be in the A-B test right now, so we just released a new feature called Pro Tips. Uh, so what it does is it's basically a new module on the home screen. Right now, only 35% of people would actually see it. But it was intended very much as an A-B test. But we didn't let the support team know that this is going to happen. It's going to you know, shift everything below the fold suddenly. So some of the more important touch points for the business may be affected. And now I'm starting to hear people like, hey, can we shut this thing off? This thing's really annoying. What's going on with it? It's like, uh, no, but give me two weeks. You know? So it's all those just like, ah, oh, crap, if I'd only thought a little bit further, 
you know, instead of just being cel- celebrating the release. So, so how did you hear about like this? Was it over Slack? Was it email? Like who raised the red flag? Here? Yeah. So in this case, it was um, part of the care team, part yeah. of the social uh, team as well, where people are yeah. posting on Facebook yeah. and oh, Twitter and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and I'd been monitoring a couple of feeds. So I hadn't seen anything. And then suddenly, you know, 6 p.m., like a week later, hey, people are saying they really don't like this thing. What's going on with it? Right. And then so you have a commitment uh, to your product and your test, right? Like you have to test it for a certain amount of time. And you want to see the impact, right? Correct. Yeah. And so that's kind of one of the, the challenges, too, with product management is trying to be very data focused and making sure that we're actually be testing everything. So regardless of the results, we want to make sure that this test runs to conclusion, hence why we only rolled it out to 35%. The problem is that now I have 35% of the population who may be stuck with this for two weeks. And so two weeks is the time frame that you're testing this for, 35% of the user base. Yep. Do you have a good idea of how many folks that is? Yeah, I mean, for us, you know, looking at the fact that we've had something like 30 million downloads of the app, you know, you can do some quick numbers there. Um, We're essentially looking at 12 million people. Sure, yeah, yeah. So they have access to this feature that they're upset with it, right? How do you kind of deal with that? It's it's not necessarily um, quantitative feedback at this point. It's more qualitative. You're hearing some, you know, hey, I don't like this feature, but that might not represent the whole population that you're testing, right? Correct. And so the biggest thing that I've always taken away with these is the loudest voice is always going to seem like the loudest voice. So ask for data. Um, So once we dug into how many people were responding, how many tickets have come in, we realized it's a much smaller population. um, And so it's not as critical as we thought and we'll have time to address it. Um, But it doesn't help, you know, at two o'clock in the morning when you have insomnia and you're like, oh, well, kind of thing. Well, I think that's that's something we can fall back to as PMs is like just we have data, which is nice. And make sure you have it if you do, if you don't. But um, in those situations, always like make sure you know the data, always research and, and, and drill in and see what's really going on. And so you can piece that story together a little better. And in your case, it sounds like that it's not as bad of a deal as you, um, it sounds, right? Yeah, tens of thousands yeah. of people instead of millions of people. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. Yeah, I, I think one of our, our roles too is when is something actually a fire drill? Is something we have to help yep. determine mm-hmm. because I, I think one of the things I also didn't fully expect getting into this that happens all the time is someone posts on social, Hey, this new feature is terrible. I'm having all these issues An executive or someone sees that they screenshot it, they email it to you or put it in Slack. Everybody can see it. And it's like, wow, things are going horribly wrong. It's Saturday afternoon. We need to get like our engineering on call to go fix this. And I think that's not always true. Sometimes it's true. And that's where data is important. And so having access to data in ways where you can make quick decisions like that, you know, have we heard of this from anywhere else? Or do we have any dashboards in Datadog or somewhere else where you can kind of quickly get a picture of how often this might be occurring so that you can make the decision that, you know what, someone had a really bad experience, we're going to look into that. Uh, But, you know, it's maybe only a handful of people out of millions, um, as opposed to Something so that's more widespread. What if, in that case, the numbers are telling? Would you? How how do we react as PMs? 
Yeah, I mean, you're, I think one of the, the keys is that you should be there in the trenches, right? Like, I think some of the most successful PMs I've seen are the ones who are getting their hands dirty and are there with, like, their engineering team. They're there trying to solve the problems and, and trying to help out with that. Um, but I, I think the other piece, too, is, like, knowing how to escalate properly is, is another important piece. Like, when do you bring in uh, engineers, maybe, to fix something on off hours? Or, you know, alternatively, when do you need to, you know, make a call or send a message to someone in leadership that something's going on and you know, maybe we need to turn a feature off. And so I think that's one of the things you have to do as a PM. Yeah, I think our role as a PM is to really be the funnel of that information when, when to react to something. I think it's very easy to read comments in the App Store or read comments in Slack or we have a really active Facebook community, which is wonderful, but it's also very easy to like turn to the team and be like, we need to do this. And I think I'm newer to the organization at Ibotta and it was something I was very reactive to for the first couple months. Like savers have this feedback, we need to respond to them. But when you start to look, we are, I would encourage everyone as well, if you don't have a ton of access to that data, encourage your engineering teams to put those events in place and allow the team to really track the, the area of the app that you might own as a PM. So you can make those data-driven decisions and help the team understand what is a priority and when, because you are going to have the, you know, vocal minority and the silent majority that is very happy with the feature, but it's very easy to see that feedback come in and, and be like, okay, we got to respond to this right away, um, but make sure that you have the data to back that up. So encourage your engineering teams to help put that in place. I think to that point too, there's a huge element of crisis management that comes with the product management role. Like you need to know to the points that have been made, like you need to know if it's a problem first, right? So if you see something on Facebook or if you get a Slack message from a senior stakeholder saying like, hey, this is a problem, go fix it. You're like, okay, well, let's, let's get the team together. Let's actually make sure this is a problem first. So like collect the data, talk to the stakeholders, like look at the sources of information that they have and actually validate as a PM and be that kind of first filter before all of that filters down to your engineering team of defining what the problem is and the severity of that problem. Because there's nothing worse than doing a bunch of false alarms and eventually you're just going to be the PM that cried wolf a bunch of times and your engineering team is going to be like, yeah, whatever, it's not a big deal. And that's going to be the one that sinks the product. So making sure that you have the ability to identify that problem and how bad it is, then you can start to escalate, then you can start to rally the troops and really start to go through the steps of resolving that issue. Yeah, so kind of building off of that, is there a way you can tell you if you've actually gone over to the dark side of product? Like, are you completely ignoring all your users? Are you shipping features just to get your name out there? What does that look like? I think for me, there, when, you, when you've made it to the dark side is when you've lost alignment with the rest of your business. Um, it's, it's probably the worst situation you can find yourself as a PM when you're about to launch a product and then you realize that other stakeholders around the business either A, have no idea what you're doing, or B, they're not aligned or they don't agree with what you're doing. And that, generally speaking, kills the release right then and there. I think another way you know you, you know if you've gone to the dark side, to continue this metaphor, I was going to put a picture of Darth Vader on here, but did not want us to get sued. So just imagine that. Um, I, I think another way to know if you've gone to the dark side is either if you're not listening to your users, I think Patrick, you mentioned that, but alternatively, if you're listening to your users too much, which is kind of like an, a, a cruel irony, like the, one of the first things you're told as a product manager is know your users, listen to them, you have to be you know, the closest person to the customer. On the flip side is like, you can't just listen to everything they say and go do that. Um, so I think that's, that's another way. If you're 
doing literally everything users are asking for explicitly, you're probably not solving problems right, and you're going to get to a point where you have a lot of random features that fit you know, really small use cases for specific people. So um, <laughs> we're coming into the end of our panel here, or our uh, um, round table. So um, do we have any last bits of uh, homework for our audience here um, in terms of the dark side product management, things to practice or think about? Yeah. So we usually give a homework assignment in our podcast episodes because it's fun to give work to other people, another thing product managers do. Um, and so I think maybe something that's fitting for Denver Startup Week is uh, – Try to talk to three to five uh, different people at this event. Talk to some product management folks. Talk to some engineering folks. Talk to user research folks. Um, and I think try to get a better sense of like the things that maybe aren't in the bullet points of the job description for a product manager. But look for ways that you know what are people actually looking for a product manager to help them do, um, and kind of like try and piece those things together. I, so I think one of the the themes for me to kind of wrap with, I think we can all do some closing thoughts. My my closing thoughts are that there's a lot they don't necessarily put in those bullet points, um, and the key is knowing how to look for that. You know how do you how do you make an impact? What gaps need to be filled to be a good product manager? Um, and a lot of that has to do with listening and communicating with people. So go talk to some people at Denver Startup Week. I think a lot of times as a product manager, the details that aren't in a job description can typically kind of, you can dig that stuff out during the interview process and you can start to understand the culture of the organization that you're interviewing with. I think if people are inquisitive and continually trying to learn, that's typically a uh, a good sign of an organization and a, a place that you might want to work. And I think as you're going into a job interview, of course, the descriptions are going to be pretty consistent across the board for a PM, but trying to peel back the onion during that interview process and really trying to get to understand and know the people that you're going to be working around. Are they continuous learners? Are they going to challenge you in your role to be a better, better employee and a better, better PM in general? That's typically something that uh, speaks pretty highly to the organization. Yeah, I think um, for me, just practice as much as you can. Um, if you're not in a product role now, um, try to launch a product yourself. Um, just experience some of the ins and outs of product management that way. Um, and then just get into a company where you can do that or be close to that organization and just practice as much as you can. Yeah, my last thought is really think about your users. If you're completely fixated on the data and the output and the outcome, you're missing probably a good chunk of the picture. So make sure you're taking a step back and thinking about the users as much as the data. I think what I would add is never assume anything as a product manager. Never assume that your stakeholders know what you're doing. Never assume that your engineers know why you're doing things. Um, you, generally speaking, as the PM, have the most complete picture of what's going on with your product and what's going on in the marketplace. So always over-communicate. If you think you're communicating enough, add another communication touch point to that, to that schedule, um, and you'll, you'll see those dividends pay off. Yeah, and to Jake's point earlier, you also don't want to ship in a vacuum, so make sure you stay close to your users, but you're also receiving feedback. If you haven't received any feedback, then you probably have shipped a product that nobody is using. <laughs> And I think finally, before we switch to our next segment, uh, the only way to truly be successful as a product manager is to listen to the Product Coffee podcast <laughs> on iTunes yeah. and Spotify. So go check it out. <laughs> yes. All right. So I think we can go ahead and switch gears. Yeah, um, we're going to switch over to the panel. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone.